Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, it's the final weekend of Women's History Month, and as celebrations around the globe wrap up, you know what that means here. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because the party never stops at what she said, because there are just too many Canadian women to possibly share in only a month. So rest assured, you never have to wonder where you can find great female perspectives from April through to next March when the world decides to join us once again. This week's show, as always, is filled with smart, funny, and compassionate women. My first guest this week joins me to discuss why Sarah Everard's tragic death has become such a flashpoint for women around the world. Lauren Dobson-Hughes provides advice and guidance on global health and women's equity campaigns to clients around the world and joins me to discuss some of the alarming statistics around violence with women, why the messaging regarding our safety needs to change now, and how to get involved at every level to ensure change actually does happen. We lighten things up in the next interview, way up actually, with Andrea Minty, who shares details on the upcoming documentary, Tripping the Niagara, which takes us on a stunning journey high above one of the wonders of the world this coming Friday, April 2nd, on TVO. Anne Brody is back with more entertainment this week, which includes an international Oscar contender with Gregory Kershaw's documentary, Truffle Hunters, which follows buyers, hunters, and their dogs as they pursue a dying but extremely lucrative business, harvesting of the rare Alba white truffle. Benedict Cumberbatch stars in The Courier, a fact-based Cold War story, and William Shatner, as you've never seen him before, in Senior Moment, co-starring Jean Smart. Former Liberal MP Selena Caesar Chavan joins me to discuss her book, Can You Hear Me Now?, about her turn in politics under Justin Trudeau and as a sitting independent. Plus, she shares her thoughts on women in politics. You're going to love Selena's no-nonsense, get-to-the-point style. Parenting teenagers is always hard, but add in a dash of dishonesty also known as lying, and it can become especially frustrating. Allie Payne, what she said's expert on teens, joins me to discuss the why behind the lie and how you can address it without losing your cool. Finally, I have a TikTok megastar joining me today. Well, okay. Her mommy, Kyla Thompson, joins me, and Bella makes a brief appearance during the interview to say hello. You won't want to miss this delightful story and be sure to follow us over on What She Said Talk on Instagram because Bella is taking over our stories this Sunday. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9. Violence against women is a daily, ongoing, and relentless occurrence around the globe. In fact, according to the World Health Organization, nearly one in three or 30% of women have been subjected to physical and or sexual violence. And I'm sure all women listening can share daily things they do to protect their personal safety, like not going out after dark or carrying their keys between their fingers. For the most part, though, we are numb to these realities because we live it daily. But occasionally, a case comes along that becomes a flashpoint, and that is what has happened with the tragic death of Sarah Everard, a 33-year-old marketing executive who was killed recently on her way home in the UK. Joining me now to discuss is Lauren Dobson-Hughes, a former executive director of an international development organization and past president of Planned Parenthood Ottawa who currently provides advice and guidance on global health and women's equity campaigns. Welcome back to the show, Lauren. Hi, nice to be here. So for some reason, and you know, it's, it's, what is that? What is it about the Sarah Everard case that has just ignited this rage around the globe? So I think it was first that, you know, she went missing in a week in the UK where, um, like every week, two other women were also killed um, by men. And so, you know, that, and then she went missing and there were appeals. And every woman, I think, had this sinking sensation of like, this is not good. We don't think this is going to work out. We know where this is going. And then, you know, the longer it went on, 
and that uncertainty of not knowing and then police announced that um they had arrested actually a police officer uh, for her murder and it was sort of the worst like you just hoped it didn't come to that you know that people had been really gripped and wanting the best unlikely outcome um and then her body was found and the police officer was charged with her kidnap and murder um but i think it was also because she did everything that we've always been told to do since we were 10 or 11 years old and how odd is it that uh, at 11 we're told to clutch our keys to look in our back seats to cross the road diagonally to not wear headphones to change our routes all the daily things that really we know don't keep us safe because we know they can't if somebody chooses to enact violence on us they're going to do that regardless of what we're wearing or where we are and it just really sort of showed the lie i think that that you can keep yourself safe with these hints and tips because sarah everard did all of those things and then there was the messaging that came out forward uh, sorry afterwards you know around telling women that they should stay in after dark and and that's infuriating as well because now even more of our personal liberties are being drawn back from us and it's it's not anything we have done no and it was telling to me that um a green party mp said why should all women stay indoors at night in fact we should have curfew on men if men are the unsafe ones and you know she was doing it as a rhetorical device to highlight how absurd it was to tell one half of the entire population they couldn't go out past 5 p.m and there was outrage absolute outrage like that's, how could you say that men can't be locked up inside after dark i'm sorry you've just told all women that they have to why is that any difference you know you can't yeah. detail our liberties like that can't we you've just done it to all women and that's what I mean. So this has really shone a light on all of those hypocrisies that we listen to and live with on a daily basis, and which is why women are so angry, I think, about this case. So, but around the globe, we're dealing with it. And in Canada, do you have any sort of statistics, anything you can share sort of that shares what we're dealing with on a global and maybe uh, on a national level in Canada? I mean, I think most of us have heard or know women in, our, in their lives, but, you know, globally, in some countries, it's up to 80% of women who've been sexually assaulted. One in three, one in two is usually about where people go. Um, most sexual assaults are not reported to the police. So in Canada, we have not decreased the rate in about 20 years. So whatever we're doing right now is not working to decrease sexual assaults. They have remained stagnant while other crimes have fallen. Um, so there's about 24,500 reported sexual assaults to police. Um, about 10% are reported in any given year. So you're looking at quarter of a million women. So grim, grim statistics, and we all know it, and we hear it all the time. And like you said, in 20 years, nothing has changed. So let's stop talking about that then, and let's move on. What do we have to do to change this? What does need to happen? So, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on policing, in, in our sexual assault and rape, violence against women. And really they're only a small part of the solution. So we talk about prevention, which really does not get enough attention in part because it's hard. How do you stop men attacking women? I mean, men have to decide to stop doing that. Um, but we can do things like really good sex ed that starts at an age appropriate time around, um, who takes up space? How do we consider other people? Girls are often taught to be small, to shrink themselves physically, to consider others all the time and not speak out. Boys are often taught to be loud, to take up space, that they're the primary actors in their lives. Um, we need to tackle like bro culture and frat boy culture, where girls are sometimes the punchline to boys' jokes that they bond with each other about. Girls are not a joke. They're not a punchline for you to bond over. Um, we have to tackle some of the, what we call structural drivers to male violence. And in any given country, they'll vary. What is it societally that is causing men to be violent? 
and there's various, you know, is it poverty? Is it marginalization? Is it entitlement? Um, and then we need to fund solutions, funding policies and legislation. Like it's not, it is complicated, but it's not complicated. Um, and then on the, you know, once violence or when it happens, at, um, addressing police attitudes. Often police don't believe women. Women don't report for a reason. And the reporting rate has not increased in 20 years. Um, we need quicker court processes so that women, and to be fair to men who are charged, deserve a speedy trial so that the trial doesn't feel like a worse violation than the actual crime itself, which women will often tell you. Um, and then educating judges and putting standards around judges. So for example, in Canada, the judge a few years ago who asked um, a rape survivor why she didn't keep her legs closed. Like that yeah. happens in many countries routinely, that type of attitude. Um, and so there's a whole host of things we can do. We just need to actually do them. And so what about, you know, um, recently, you know, International Women's Day and everybody was putting their hands up pledging and, and I, I have to admit I didn't because I feel like I pledge that every single day as a woman and the people that should have been pledging it, you know, they do it for one day and then they go back to doing, you know, whatever. Uh, how do we get men on board with this messaging specifically? Yeah, and I think sometimes it's hard for men because when you come into a conversation that has been going in women's lives for 20, 30 years, and there is anger in that too. I think for men stepping in, they're suddenly like, oh, whoa, what? And they see a whole other reality they never realized existed. And it's like pulling the lid back and being like, oh my goodness. And I can understand a reaction of defensiveness. I don't do that. I'm not a bad person which is very natural and human. But I think challenging yourself to get over that or to hold it and vent with your friends about it, but not bring it into a space as a public policy solution is that we're more considerate to your feelings. Um, to talk with the women in their lives about what they experience on a daily basis, what growing up as a young woman was like, um, and to demand change from politicians, from workplaces. Does your workplace have a harassment policy? If not, it should. Um, do you call your friends out when they make sexist jokes or when they treat women as pieces of meat or, or objects? So there's things that men can do in both their daily lives to challenge, as well as like asking politicians to fund and enact policies that help prevent and tackle violence against women and girls. Okay, so we we do not have enough time to get into all of this today. Uh, you know, I, I hate that we only have 10 minutes on this today, but if people want to, uh, to go somewhere, maybe volunteer their time, maybe learn something uh, new, do you have places you recommend they go to? Depends what age they are really, I find. Um... Scarletine is great for young people on consent and sex and navigating boundaries. Um, I think, you know, the internet is not a small place. Start with a reputable, creditable organization. Canadian Women's Foundation is fantastic. There's um, uh, an observatory on femicide that has a report coming out on Wednesday, the 17th of, of March. Um, annual statistics. Um, there's not a short place of we're not so short of places to find information and education. Start with Google and see where it takes you. And keep having the conversation so that we don't keep we don't keep doing the same thing over and over again, which is have these flashpoints of rage and then go back to the status quo. So thank you, Lauren, for joining me. Uh, uh, we're going to have you back again soon. Uh, so but thank you for this conversation today. Yeah. Thanks so much. I'm not sure I could. They say. Time heals everything, but I'm Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. If you want to do, do right, do right, hold do right, 
on Friday, April 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on TVO and streaming anytime after that on TVO.org and the TVO YouTube channel, you won't want to miss the original Tripping the Niagara. Joining me now to share details about this stunning documentary that will have you soaring high above one of the wonders of the world from the comfort of your couch is Andrea Minty, producer of Tripping the Niagara. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you very much for having me. So I was able to get, you know, a screening of this and I have to tell you what a ride this is. How did you film this documentary? So this documentary, last year we did a four hour journey down the Rideau Canal, which was from a static camera on a boat and you felt like you were going down the river. But you can't do that above the Niagara and especially if you want to be a hawk. So the whole thing was shot by drone. Um, and the challenge with a drone is they have a battery life. So you can only go for 20 minutes before you have to stop. And there are other challenges when you're, when you're flying over water, drones need a place to call home. So if you start from water and you want to land from water, it gets a little tricky. So we, we had a lot of challenges, a lot that we knew were coming and a lot that we didn't know were coming, but it, it made for um, a whole new learning curve this year from last year. So the experience is, is is from the view of a hawk, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so we, we start at the at the uh, where the Niagara comes into Lake Ontario, and our journey takes us all the way up the river, ends at Niagara Fall, Falls, and on the way we we wander off as birds can. You have license to move around a little bit more to see some of the really interesting things along the river, not just the river. So how, I mean, did you lose a lot of drones in this process? <laughs> well, we certainly plan to. We always, you always carry a backup drone with you. And, and we really expected to lose a drone at some point. But our drone operator, our DOP, Peter Warren is, he's amazing. This is a guy who he's piloting a drone. He's thinking about framing of a picture. He's thinking about what's coming up next, what we've passed. And he's doing all these cool little control things with his thumbs and fingers, laser focused. And he's walking over roots and rocks and trees, I, I, you know, and it's, he's trying to avoid hitting leaves and trees. And it's astounding. I, I think it's the credit to Peter that kept us from losing any drones. <laughs> And I can imagine that there would be other variables to consider too, like wind and rain and all of those things that would come into play that would affect, you know, shooting days or when you could shoot or would, you know, delay. Well, we were incredibly lucky with our weather for the most part, because absolutely, as soon as you get rain, you're done. Um, wind with a drone, drones are pretty good at navigating wind, but they can really be a problem you know, if it's really windy. But one of the things we really didn't expect was it was a beautiful sunny day, but it was like really hazy and the haze never really left. Uh, and we didn't figure out for a few days that it was actually, and this was a lesson we learned, uh, the jet streams carrying smoke up from the California fires. The, wow. smoke, the smoke travels along the jet streams, just like the jets do. It's such a good mode of transportation. I wouldn't have thought that that would come that far and affect the, affect the shooting so much. That's incredible. I, it's astounding. It took, well, like when we, when we were told what it was, we thought, how does that even happen? But you realize it was true. That's exactly what it looked like. It looked like the haze that you see when there's a forest fire. So was there anything you learned about the Niagara region shooting this that, you know, you, you didn't know prior to? There were tons of things. Um, most people, all they think of is Niagara Falls and, and for good, good cause. I mean, it's a stunning place. It's, and it's astounding to stand there and look at the power, you know, the 17 story high falls and it, it's, it's mind boggling. But all, what, what's leading up to it is those falls actually took, I think it's 12,000 years to move seven kilometers to where they are now. They're slowly eroding, you know, the power of the water is eroding them backwards. Eventually they'll erode right into Lake Erie and be gone. So get them fast over the next 50,000 years before they disappear. <laughs> um, but so the gorge that they've created is, is stunning. 
um, you can climb down into the gorge and get right down to the water in, in safe areas. And it, it's really breathtaking. Uh, there's the whirlpool, which is kind of where it all made its turn and headed towards where the falls are now, which is very cool. It's big, it's wide, and it's circling around. And it always goes in one direction, but apparently when they, they drop the water levels periodically, I think at night they slow them down. And when the water slows down enough, the water actually starts turning in the opposite direction, which that seems very cool to me. Yeah. The last thing that I didn't know about, because when you're driving along the park parkway to get to the falls and to get home, you don't really look down into the gorge. And what's down there at one point is level six um, whitewater rapids, which are not navigable. You, you can't, well, some nut went down them uh, a long time ago in the Made of the Mist. Not a good idea. You made it, but they are, you go down to look at them on this walkway and the power that's behind them is, is astounding. It's, it's amazing. So, so where can people then catch this documentary? Because I think this is one of Canada's uh, jewels, obviously, is the Niagara region. So if people want to, and you know, we can't all get out to explore it right now. So if they want to catch it at home, where can they see this? Well, it will air on April 2nd at 7 p.m. on TVO, uh, uh, you know, live on television. But it also then starts streaming on TVO.org. And the, the other interesting thing is we did four um, VR360 short videos so that's a camera setup that has i think it has about eight cameras on it so when you can put an oculus on and look all around and it's completely 3d the first one i saw when you when you turned it on i looked down and i'm standing on the edge of the rideau canal and i thought oh my god i'm gonna fall in i never moved my feet again through the whole thing for fear i was gonna fall so they're very cool VR360s. You actually, in one of them, you get to look right down the falls, which is really cool. So that that's also online. So everything starts April 2nd um, and it streams thereafter and all of the elements are available online. On uh, tbo.org has, um, they've got the YouTube VR360s and things. That was right. a long answer to your question. That's quite all right. That's all right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Andrea. I'm looking forward to seeing the full uh, documentary. Great. Thank you. Have a good day. Well, it seems there is nothing slowing down the entertainment industry. And Anne Brody joins me again this week with more new movies and shows for us to watch. Anne, what do you got this week? It's, it's quite the week, I must say. <laughs> A lot of World War II. But The Truffle Hunters is, is this week's special, so to speak. It's... Um, a really lovely documentary, quite emotional, set in Piedmont, Italy, in which these documentarians follow a handful of truffle hunters, and they're after the Alba white truffle, which you cannot cultivate. It only can be found by dogs and far harvested by dogs. So it's really a limited business, and uh, 500 grams of the stuff can go for $6,000. So it's yeah, it's quite, and it's a bit deadly too, because they have dogs who are specially trained to hunt for truffles and they're, they're, they have such a close bond with their owners. Um, and some people are out there trying to poison the dogs and succeeding and ruining someone's economy. And the, of course, they're heartbreaking. Um, and there are people trespassing. There's all kinds of problems coming up with it. But the beauty of it is that these truffle hunters are so attached to their dog, their their work and nature. It's just the most beautiful thing to follow them. There's a classical music score, which is just to die for. It's an excellent film. I was I was I have to tell you, I was mesmerized by the uh, by the trailer uh, that you mentioned also is an Oscar contender, perhaps. And yeah, for Italy, where can people yeah. find it um, on TV, uh, TVOD and the TIFF Lightbox platform, digital platform. 
that's okay. a good place to find a lot of our, our things. Okay, uh, let's move on to Benedict Cumberpatch, only because I really just love saying his name. Uh, <laughs> what is he in this week? <laughs> He's in The Courier. He plays uh, an ordinary businessman in London um, in 1960, the height of the Cold War. And he is uh, convinced to spy so he goes to Russia as a businessman to try and get some business happening. He's contacted immediately by a by an English operative working, a Russian who's working as an English operative. Um, and he manages to get 5,000 pieces of intel back into England. And unfortunately he's captured. It's a true story about um, uh, this fellow. What's his name now? Gwyn, Greville Wynne. It's a true story and it's quite harrowing. What he goes through is just unbelievable at the hands of the Russians. Um, but it's interesting to see too the trade craft that he learns, lip reading, um, seeing a face more than once. Uh, quite interesting actually. Okay, and so that, that's on Amazon and Hulu. Uh, six minutes to midnight, tell me about that. That's, a, that's also based on a true story. Uh, Eddie Izzard. I don't know if you know him. He's a female impersonator comic in England. So he grew up in Bexhill on sea. Um, and he, when he was little, he, he was aware of a school there that had been used as a finishing school for the daughters of Nazis during the war. So there's quite a bit of um, excitement. And what happens is the girls are at some point going to be moved out because the Nazis are going to invade. Uh, never happened, but the girls were, um, you know, uh, weren't to be taken captive. And so it's, it's quite an interesting story of a man who comes in, he's an English spy, he comes in to take the, a job as a teacher, the one who's been murdered who was previously a spy, and Judy Dench runs this school. I'm trying to say a whole lot in a very short time, but it, uh, it, it's very interesting. All right. Well, listen, uh, you also have William Shatner this week. And I got to say, I've never really thought of William Shatner as a, um, let's just say, multidimensional character. Uh, but in this trailer, I have to admit, I was I was kind of sucked into the story. So what did he's, you think? He's quite adorable in this. And, you know, he's this booming, uh, disdainful, high and mighty Shakespearean actor. And here he's just a, a doofus. You know, he's 80, but he's acting 72. Um, and he's checking out girls at the bar. So anyway, he meets Jean Smart, who runs the local bakery, and they begin, well, he wants to begin a relationship, but she's with Isai Morales, who's much younger. So it's a very cute film. It's, and it's also a film about a, a man in his car. He loves his vintage convertible and uh, gets him into a lot of trouble. But it's just a really sweet, nice, fun thing to see with all these stars that we know so well. Um, and there's a lot of baked goods in it. So that's the big plus. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could all use something a little sweet in our lives. So that's good. So that's on TVOD. Uh, we got about uh, 45 seconds left, Anne. So what else do you got that we can't miss? Yes. I couldn't believe it, but I was really quite entertained by Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Who knew? I never saw those films back there because it's hockey. And Est Emilio Estevez is back. He's down and out. He owns a, a crappy uh, ice palace. And um, the kids who were tossed out of the Mighty Ducks, still young children, are taken by one of the mothers, Lauren Graham, to become the, the do-nothings, a new team. So it's all about, uh, you know, the little engine that could. And it's very endearing. Well, and you always got to, you got to love a movie where you root for the underdog, right? So that's, right? that's yes. perfect. All right. Yes. So of course you have all of these uh, and your reviews on all of them and more on what she said, talk.com. And Anne, I look forward to having you back next week. And I look forward to seeing you again. I need you all night. Come on, dance with me. I'm levitating. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. If 
you think because your politics lean to the left and you vote liberal or NDP that you're doing enough to fight the isms in the world, be it racism, sexism, or classism, my next guest is here to tell you that chances are you're not as woke as you might think. Selena Cesar Chavan isn't here to judge, however, but to empower us. In her book, Can You Hear Me Now?, Selena wants us to embrace utter honesty with ourselves, dare to say things we didn't think we could, and to hold firm to our principles to truly build a better world where inclusion is real. Welcome to the show, Selena. Thank you so much for having me, Candice. I appreciate this. So I, I think we need to address for those that don't know uh, know of you a bit of your backstory, and that is that you are an ex-liberal MP, correct? Yes, ex-liberal MP, ex-independent MP. <laughs> okay, a so, lot of exes there. So I think as I think <laughs> as a bad woman, breakup. <laughs> I think as a woman in politics, you definitely then must have had a unique perspective on um, on perhaps, you know, the games that are played in politics in regards to things like racism and sexism. And so is that what led you to write this book is sort of that journey through that frustration of trying to affect actual change? Um, I would say I would say somewhat yes, um, because I'd written some of the book before even getting into politics but it was, I call politics the most painfully beautiful experience I've had because you go through some of these isms, as you, you said, but then you come out the other side realizing if you can have that self-reflection and that awareness, how powerful you are in spite of all of the things that you go through in life. So what led you then to move uh, from a liberal MP to an independent? Um, so everybody knows that my story related to politics, leaving politics had nothing to do with SNC-Lavalin um, or the scandal that happened in Canada that people may, many people may know about. Uh, but for me, it was the understanding that when Jody Wilson-Raybould was saying that she was being bullied and unduly um, harassed by the, by the prime minister, by the PMO, and you know, us coming out of a Me Too movement where we said, hashtag Me Too, hashtag believe her, hashtag believe women when they say that they've been assaulted, harassed, bullied. And I found it very interesting that, that the party that I was a part of could believe her when it was convenient and leave her, which they did Jody Wilson-Raybould when it was not. And those values and principles that I hold dear in terms of standing up for women, standing up for people with multiple intersecting identities, that was that was not going to waver and i was not about to put my party over my principles for for that at all or for anything and for that matter it's, it's interesting that you bring up the me too hashtag um you know they, they didn't want to talk about it until sort of that became a trending topic and then black right. lives matter became a trending topic and right. now you know we're looking at the 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 backlash from sarah everard and in, in the uk and so you know what what is wrong with politics that we only address these things when they become a trending topic because nobody actually wants to deal with these issues, right? Nobody wants to actually deal with issues that are uh, far from the fray, right? So far from, uh, sorry, uh, along the fray. Um, when we're talking about, you know, the fact that even reports coming out today that one in five murdered women in Canada are indigenous women, why is this still a national stain? Why are we still talking? When I was talking about racism in 2018, nobody was standing around to take a knee or to say, protect her, or to say, you know what, Selena, you're right. People should check their privilege. Uh, this investment is something that we, no, nobody was there to protect me, even from my party who claimed diversity is our strength and women change politics. They were supposedly the intersectional feminist government that you wanted. They, that didn't happen until after 2020. Now it's cool, it's avant-garde. Everybody's oh, is, is woke to talking about this and now it's okay. Um, the thing is that all they're doing is talking. Lip service. Very performative, yes. Okay. So you are no longer in politics. And no. I talk about this a lot on the show about, you know, we need, we need more women in politics. So how do we, A, how do we get more women in politics and how do we start to affect the change that needs to happen? 
So I'm gonna push back a little bit on that because I don't think we just need to add women to politics. There are mm -hmm. a couple of things that need to happen. Number one, we need to add individuals, majority women, of course, who are going to push back against the status quo, who's gonna understand that the current system as it exists is not serving underrepresented people, is not serving people who are, you know, at lower socioeconomic status. Like look at the, look at the fallout from the pandemic. Um, PSWs can, don't have benefits, don't have sick benefits, can't have paid leave, don't have access to childcare. They're dying while they're trying to protect our lives. So we need people who are going to push back, but we also need to change the internal infrastructure itself, the culture of that organization. You could add as many women to, as you want, but if the culture is still very toxic, you know what's going to happen? They're going to leave. The really good ones, they're not going to put up with that and they're going to go. Women leave politics. They're afraid to get back into it. Um, and I understand why women don't want to be in politics. It is a rough place to be. Uh, as a woman, and that sexism, I think, exists more so in politics than almost anywhere else, uh, it seems. So um, what would you say to young women right now, then, if perhaps politics isn't the path, where can they, where can they put their efforts? So I'm not saying politics is not the path. I think that sexism, racism, discrimination exists everywhere. So just trying to find the path of least resistance is a futile effort. There's no point in doing that. What I would say to uh, young women is to run, run in packs, make sure that you have people around you like the squad in the United States to protect each other, to understand that when one falls, you could take the time to pick each other up. You could take the time to get the respite that you need. Um, but also make sure that you're running as your 100% authentic self. We want these spaces to change. And yet when we get there, we are either forced to conform to fit, meaning Selena, silence. Selena, please don't be so bold. Please don't be so passionate about things. Please stop being the angry black woman, you know, or we, we, we fit ourselves into a mold that doesn't naturally it, it wasn't naturally intended us for intended for us to show up. So we either try to fit ourselves in or we're made to fit in. And we need to be 100% authentic in those spaces because no space I think is, is a safe zone for people with, with intersecting identities. So that brings me to your book. Can you hear me now? Yeah. So was that very cathartic writing that book? Oh, it's, uh, completely. Uh, you know, I wrote, especially the last th four chapters, angry, you know, I, was, I wrote it really, really fast and I handed it to my editor and I'm like, yeah, publish that. She's like, I can't publish this. <laughs> She's like, and then she asked me a question, you know, do you want this book to hurt or to heal? And I said, I wanted it to heal. I want, I want people, even in the beginning part of my life, to ask the question, can you hear me now? I've often been silenced. People have often been silenced. And you know, it's not just women that resonate with this book. It's all, people of all genders, all backgrounds, see themselves in the book, see themselves when they were quieted, see themselves when they let allow their mistakes to own who they are instead of owning their mistakes themselves. Um, talking up in, in very various positions and not being heard as I was in politics. And so I think there's a, it's a multi-dimensional question of, can you hear me now? I love it. So if people want to heal, where can they find your book? Um, anywhere books, books are sold on uh, bookstores across the country, across the world, I should say, but at uh, selinacc.ca forward slash book. Or you could follow me on all my socials, uh, TikTok, IG, or Twitter, or Facebook at I am Selena CC, and that's C-E-L-I-N-A-C-C. -C. Incredible. Selena, it was a pleasure meeting you. Uh, you're just, you're delightful, and you just, uh, you're, uh, you know, I, I say this about a few people, but you're a beacon of light, and I really appreciate that you joined me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Candice. Thank you to your listeners. Drive alone past your street.
Joining me now to discuss our teenagers is Allie Payne, our resident expert in all things to do with adolescence. And today we're talking about teens and lying, something I know that drives parents absolutely bonkers. Welcome to the show, Allie. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. So teens and lying, this is a really, this is a really um, hard one because oftentimes I feel teens are lying because they're, they don't want to admit something or they're afraid to be truthful about maybe a root cause, but it's frustrating for parents because we want to help. So how do we figure this out? Yeah, it's such a great question. So historically, teenagers lie. So let's just call a spade a spade. In my experience, as a teenager who lied all the time, teenagers lie for three core reasons. Number one is they fear judgment or ridicule. Now that doesn't mean you have been judgmental or been ridiculing, okay, just stick with me. Number two, is that the teenage brain is wired to operate with greater levels of independence and independent choice and thought than it's maybe ready to from measuring the risk of those decisions, but they will lie to exercise independence. Number three, they will lie if they are, they want to make a decision based on their own beliefs and values which are different inherently from your beliefs and values. So they will lie if they feel good about it, even though they know you wouldn't. So what about when a teenager lies to you about something that, you know, you, you say to them, look, be honest with me here. Um, you know, I, I can help you if you're honest. And then they still lie. Right. How do we get them to come clean on this to understand that you're not there to, to harm, but to help? You know, it's so natural for parents, of course, to want to, to want to know the truth so they can help them. Here's what I need you to understand. And please, this isn't about a judgment. Your teenager feels somewhat attacked just by your own need to want to drive for the truth. They're not ready or they're not going to tell you. And so your drive for the truth feels like kind of you coming at them, which means they will back up and dial in more falsehood if necessary. It's really important to understand that the teenager, the teenage brain is more susceptible because it's running in its emotion center, very, very hyperactive. In adolescence, their self-esteem is lower and they are more susceptible to comparison and criticism. So even though you are not doing that, okay, they will perceive or experience you as wanting to dig for the truth to help them as feeling attacked and that you are making them wrong because their brain is trying to create its own independent thought and anyone who feels made wrong is going to shut down. So it's the way that we go about it. We have to say, rather than going about it from trying to fix the situation or fix them, just, Hey, look, you know, be real. If you lied as a teen, tell them, look, I lied as a teen. I, I lied about this because I thought my parents this or whatever the story was. Sometimes sharing that bit of relativity will draw them out. Also, maybe up front, just saying, look, this is a no consequence zone for the next half hour. You always need to know if you're willing to tell me the truth, your chances of a consequence is going to go way down. If you don't tell me the truth, chances are it's going to go up. Now that's not a threat. It's just a reality about boundaries. And sometimes that inherently will draw them out. For the most part, it's truly about getting curious and listening. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree that all teenagers lie. I did it myself. Uh, they all do. I think what many parents listening to this are going to say though, is what if they, you know, they're lying, B, they won't come clean and even after, you know, per, you know, the perceived threat of consequences, they're still lying to you. Mm -hmm. you. Then you can either be right or you can have a relationship. So as long as there is not significant damage that you know happened, like the front end of your car front suddenly disappeared or, you know, something like that, you've got to let go of being right and let understand that they are processing this themselves and that you labeling them as a liar is going to impede your relationship. If you label them as a normal teen who maybe lied and isn't yet coming clean, 
that is going to continue to keep the relationship going. Please know that they're processing this. And I know it's disrespectful and we will all, we're all raised. Like you're going to get the what for if you lie, they're processing. They're trying to do independence, even though it looks like lying. Okay. All right. So you uh, regularly share information to help parents and teenagers through these very trying times. Where can people <laughs> find you, uh, Allie, if they want to connect? Best place to find me is at Allie Payne on Instagram and TikTok. And I also have a free webinar about these kinds of things coming up. Um, so you want to check that link is in my bio, Instagram and TikTok. As always, uh, you are the voice of reason and you're probably keeping a lot of us sane right now. So thank you for joining me, Ali. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Thank you so much. Guess you didn't mean what you wrote in that song about me. You said forever, now I drive alone past your street. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. I'm trying not to let it show That I don't want to let this go Is there somewhere you can meet me? Many of us go through life taking the smallest things for granted. And during this pandemic, it has been particularly easy to fall into the poor me mindset. That's why I think my next interview subject is so important. She is simply joy wrapped up in the cutest little bundle you've ever seen. Seven-year-old Bella Thompson was born with three very rare conditions, has had 21 surgeries, and has spent over 800 nights in the hospital. She is also a TikTok megastar, thank you very much, and along with her mother, Kyla Thompson, are spreading joy to, well, at least 1.6 million people as we record this. Welcome to the show, Kyla. Hello, thanks for having me. I found you on TikTok uh, maybe uh, about three weeks ago. And since that time, I've been absolutely obsessed with your daughter, Bella. So tell us about Bella and, and, the con and her three conditions. So Bella is my seven-year-old daughter who is a light of many lives I see now <laughs> but she's she's from day one she's been a firecracker and very strong um and yeah so she is very much enjoying the limelight um and all the love and kindness that is coming from um being a star on TikTok so what is the uh TikTok account name then our TikTok account is at Kyla CT. And when did you start it? I started it uh, the end of January and I had my account for just a couple days before posting the video of Bella that went viral. And so what was she doing in this video that people are just so drawn to? She was drawing uh, a picture for a short story assignment for her grade two class. And she was using um, the Art Hub app on her iPad to learn how to draw a fox for her story. And so she's just doing an assignment. And I thought, I mean, she's always loved drawing and music and art. Uh, but this particular picture, I was just like, whoa, she's doing a really good job. I got, I'm going to take a video of this to go post it on TikTok for fun. <laughs> So, uh, so how does Bella deal with then all of her fans? She, she kind of, she's just like, oh, that's great. And carries on. <laughs> <She's>... <laughs> so let's talk about one of her fans in particular, though, because I think this was so sweet. Um, Halsey uh, recently became a fan and reached out to you. What happened there? Yeah. So Halsey had reached out to me the night. Bella's video went viral as she noticed that and told me in a personal message on my Instagram that she fell in love with with Bella and Bella's love for music and art and asked if she could send Bella a care package and from there um, she worked on sending that and after a couple of hiccups with our postal services <laughs> it finally got to our doorstep and um, Bella was quite amazed when she opened it up. So, I mean, it's the, your account spreads so much joy, as you know, and are finding out people are just uh, just go to find Bella videos, basically. Uh, but 
also Bella is on the list for a bowel transplant, uh, which is, uh, you know, obviously a pressing concern. So um, how can people support you or support others through this time? What, what would you suggest people do if they want to help? Well, I really want people to understand that we're here to help too. I want people to see through our TikTok that here is a family, a child going through some real tough medical scenarios and we can still find the joy. (laughs) Sweetheart. I need to do some work on the computer. Oh, can you say hello, everyone? Hello, Bella. Hello. (laughs) Um, But we would, we would really love people to understand that, um, there are quite a few places that have supported us along this medical journey. And we're gonna share that on TikTok. We're gonna share the joy of places like the Ronald McDonald House, um, children's hospitals, um, mental health supports in our local area, make, make a wish as well. Okay, well, amazing. So uh, Bella is going to be taking over what she said Instagram stories this weekend. I'm very excited about that. So I hope you will be able to share all of the great places and charities that people across Canada can help out. Uh, But if people want to connect with you on TikTok and Instagram, where can they find you? On TikTok and Instagram, you can find us at KylaCT. On Facebook, you can find us at Isabella's Mustard Seed. All right, amazing. Bella, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're very busy with all of your fans on TikTok, so I really appreciate it. I'm really busy right now, too. But how do you turn this on? Oh, the computer, yeah, we're busy on computer work. Can you, can you turn on the computer? Yeah. Right down on some blank paper. On yeah. The, Computer. So can you do that right now, Mommy? Yeah, we're going to practice some typing skills. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Bella, I don't want to keep you from your very important work. Uh, we will see you soon over on our Instagram stories of what she said talk. Thank you for joining me today, Kyla. I really appreciate it. You bet. We're excited for that. Thanks again. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.